If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Every time we sing, what child is this? Uh, since I was a, a little boy, I think of the time, I've probably told you all about this, but it's so scarring. I'm going to tell you again, I, it's one of the first times I was singing in church I grew up in, and I was charged to sing Amazing Grace a cappella. That, that was the goal. Um, I've got the words right, but it came out to the tune of what child is this, and it, it works. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. See, it works. So I got, I got a long way down that road before I realized what was, what was going on. And then, then I got nervous and, and petrified and, and realized that my deodorant was insufficient at that point in my life because I was sweating through my shirt uh, grossly. Then I discovered Old Spice and things have been better um, ever since. <laughs> We're going to be in Isaiah for the next few weeks as we travel this Advent road together. And, and, and scriptures that Isaiah would not have said were about Jesus, but that we can look back from our vantage point today and see, um, see him in the story as we wait on the arrival of our king. Let's look at verses 1 through 10 together in Isaiah chapter 11. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The, The calf, the young lion and the fattened calf will be together. And a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will will graze. Their young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit. And a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. Andy Catlett is one of the characters in Wendelberry's fictional town of Port William. In the particular story that I read recently that I'm referencing this morning, Andy is 11 years old. And at the beginning of the story, he is ringing the dinner bell at his home and he's thinking about events that are taking place clear on the other side of the world. The date is August 15, 1945. Having just finished his chores with the horses he first hears the commotion coming from a little while, a little uh, distance away. 
in downtown Port William, which is tiny, up around City Hall and the church building and the general store and Jaber Crow's barber shop. And the commotion was a bunch of car horns and it was, it was bells ringing and it was shouting, exuberant shouting. And as Andy walked up on his porch from his chores, he could see the tears in his grandmother's eyes as she said to Andy, oh, honey, it's over. This terrible war has stopped at last. News of VJ Day had come. Now, Andy's grandma was not an idealist. She was, she was not ever surprised that war could, could break out amongst broken people. She was born during the Civil War. She had seen her share. She had seen many loved ones lost. She had seen more loved ones gone for however long with time spent wondering whether or not they would ever come home. So whenever she speaks of war, she gives it the qualifying term, terrible. And this was a generic term that applied to, to all war. Each time it came, she knew it had come again. But as an 11-year-old, Andy's feeling was different. He was overcome by the excitement. He was overcome by the peace of it all. And in his meager experience, he believed that it would be here forever. Now they ate supper that evening and grandma and grandpa were, were slow in their eating, savoring each bite as they normally would be. But Andy, he gulped down his food as fast as he could. And he ran out the front door to, to join in the celebration from his corner of the world by ringing the dinner bell furiously. But grandma and grandpa were more subdued. They were glad, but they were subdued. You see, they had seen this story before. Andy rings the bell in exuberance, thinking of all those away who would soon come home. But he does know, even at a young age, deep down, that not everyone will come home. I mean, his beloved Uncle Virgil already had died in this war. And his beloved Uncle Andrew, whom he was named after, actually died a year earlier in a domestic spat in a neighboring town. This, this young man indeed understood at a young age grief. But what he does not understand yet is just how much his world will change and how fast it will change over the course of his life. You see, peace seems to elude every generation. Andy's grandparents knew this. We ring the bells in excitement for a time, but the struggle continues for us all. War comes again and again. This is the same story, effectively, around the time that Isaiah wrote these words and the circumstances that he prophesied from within. Assyria was bearing down on Israel, crushing them and about to crush them for good. And the Assyrians, their, their backward paganistic ways of life would, would become the norm for God's people in the northern kingdom. And it was within this, it was within this pattern that God's people understood life, that the Messiah was promised, but it was, it was not yet. The Messiah out there somewhere to come at some time, peace promised in the future, and they, in their best moments, believed that God was going to make good on that promise ultimately. 
Maybe this is why Andy's grandparents were not completely overcome by the recurrence of the news of war. Maybe they too knew that peace one day would be the way things are. Church, what does is, what is Christmas mean? This was one of the questions that we considered together Friday night in our family trivia night. It was really fun. It, it also was family Christmas cookie night, although that wasn't on the descriptor of the event. And I found this out when I ate my 17th cookie, that that was part of the evening. I ate a lot of cookies. But our, uh, our student minister and connection minister, Steve, uh, he put uh, together 21 questions about the Christmas story, which were straight from the Gospels, from Matthew and Luke, the two Gospels. That was one of the questions, which of the Gospels tell parts of the Christmas story. And one of those questions that he, he asked uh, was, what is Christmas? Well, what's it about? What are we celebrating when we celebrate Christmas? The question was also asked this week in my son's sixth grade classroom, public school. So I thought that was interesting. It's a good question to ask. Now, I'm probably silly if I think that most of, you know, the people around us that live amongst us know the answer to this question. I mean, we know it's Christmas. You can't take two steps in any direction and not tell that it's Christmas. The prices of Home Depot's Christmas trees tell that it's Christmas. I was really shocked this year. We got quite a pitiful tree. Les Lamb was pretty disappointed, but... I just wasn't willing to go to that next rung of what they cost. I digress. It's Christmas all around. You know, I'm probably even more silly to think that even everyone in the walls of our churches understand exactly what this story is about. I didn't even know the answer to all of Steve's questions. I had no idea how long Mary stayed with Elizabeth. You probably do. I just couldn't remember. You got me on that one, buddy. Let me tell you what Christmas is about. It's about someone arriving. And not someone on your roof with flying four-legged Rudolphs. It's far better than that. These weeks leading up to Christmas are the weeks that we dig in and we await the advent of a king. And we hold up for one another the, the best characteristics of, of what this king is like. Aaron kicked that off for us this morning in lighting the candle and sharing so beautifully from her experience. This king that is about peace, hope, joy, love, faith. This is what this king is like. It's what God is like. And this is what Christmas is about. Tonight, and I would be going over to uh, Brentwood Baptist this evening if I, I didn't have something else to do. And I would recommend y'all doing that for the Christmas celebration there. I believe it begins at 5 o'clock. Leslie Ann and I will be going, which we've done for about 15 years in a row now, to uh, downtown to watch the Behold the Lamb of God um, show, Andrew Peterson and Friends. And the way that that show has started for the last, uh, or at least the, the second half of the show has started for the last few years 
has been a particularly poignant reading from this book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Perhaps you're familiar with it. I recommend it to you as well. But you ask what Christmas is about. Let me tell you. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote this message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail. Two kittens in my house, to be exact. The way a dolphin swims, the way red poppies grow wild. And God put it into words, too, and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly has some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what God has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you, you know, people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some very big mistakes, sometimes even on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and sometimes they're just downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves the palace, his throne, leaves everything to rescue the one that he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all of the stories in the Bible are telling one big story. The story of how God loves God's children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at at the center of this story... There's a baby. And every, every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle. He's like the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And then suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is a child on whom everything will depend. This is the child who... Well, to borrow Steve's answer to his question from Trivia Night, this is the child who will save us from our sin. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed in the land. He Well, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf, the young lion, the fatted calf will be together and a child will lead them. And the cow will will graze with the bear and their young, young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like cattle and an infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand in the snake's den. And they won't harm or destroy each other at all on God's holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. This king is not coming just to make things somewhat better. Just to move things along or even redirect things in a better or more correct 
direction. No, this is a full scale rectification. And illustrated by some beautiful poetry detailing animals that don't hang out with one another doing just that. Isaiah gives us a picture of what this looks like. And it looks like peace. It's it's wars ending. It's peace having come into our homes. And and we, the church, friends, it's our mission to to point people toward God's kingdom. Where this baby is king. And to do that is to, well, it's to realize who God's heart is for. And to do that, effectively, we don't have to look any further than the circumstances in which Jesus was born into. Born amongst the cattle. And, and maybe this wasn't as dire a circumstance as sometimes we read into the story where there was no room in the inn as if it was a Holiday Inn Express that had filled up for the night. It's probably more likely just a full house because everybody, every cousin was in town for the census. And so the most comfortable place actually was amongst the stable. But when you juxtapose Isaiah's words here, and the picture of the animals going on with the picture going on around Jesus' birth. It's pretty cool that Jesus would be born among these animals in the actual comfort of a manger where there was some quiet, where perhaps God's voice could speak into the lives of those present. See, we realize who God's heart is for when we look at the circumstances in which Jesus was born into. Not a palace. Although he was comfortable, he had none of the world's finer things around him other than love. Born into the poorest of families. He did not just preach the gospel. He lived it. He was born into it. And then he spent his days blessing those who were also on the underside of life. He fed the poor. He healed them. He saw those folks the world often fails to see. You know, they take their high school football very, very seriously in Texas. Did you know this? Specifically in Grapevine, Texas where there is a school, Faith Christian School, whose school is, is, is a great school. The football team has over 70 players, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, hordes of uh, involved parents. In November of 2007, it's 15 years ago now, just over 15 years ago, the Faith Lions were 7-2 and two going into a particular game of the season. They were scheduled to play the Gainesville State Tornadoes. Gainesville State, on the other hand, was a whopping 0-8. They had scored only two touchdowns all year. They had 14 players, and they wore pads that were over 10 years old, dilapidated helmets, and they were escorted by security guards who took their players' handcuffs off 
right before warm-ups. You see, Gainesville State is a maximum security prison north of Dallas who gets its students by court order. The tornadoes, well, each of their players have convictions for drugs, assaults, robberies. Many of their families have disowned them. Many of them didn't even have families to disown them. They played every game they played on the road. Before this game, Faith's coach, um, Chris Hogan, had an idea. He said, what if for just one night, half of the Faith fans cheered for the opposing team? Here's a message I want you to send, coach said. He wrote an email to, to the school. He said, You're, we want to communicate the tornadoes are just as, as, just as valuable as any person on planet Earth. And the Faith fans agreed. When the Gainesville tornadoes took the field... They crashed through a banner made by faith fans that read Go Tornadoes. The players were really surprised to find themselves running through a 40-yard long spirit line made up of cheering fans. From their benches on the side of the field that they were on, they heard behind them over 200 screaming fans sitting in the bleachers cheering for them by name, led by real cheerleaders. Hogan had to convince the JV cheerlead squad to, to cheer for the opponents. I thought maybe they were confused, said Alex, a Gainesville lineman. Another lineman, Gerald, said, we can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to the games, but these people, they were yelling for us. They even knew our names. Gainesville's quarterback and middle linebacker, Isaiah, shook his head in disbelief. He said, I never thought I'd hear people cheering for us, even cheering for us to hit their kids. They wanted us to. At the end of the game, Faith won 33-14, to 14, and the losing team practically danced off the field with their fingers pointing number one in the air. And when the teams gathered in the middle of the field after the game to pray, Isaiah surprised everyone when he asked if he could pray. And Coach Hogan said, we had no idea what this kid was going to say. Isaiah said this. He said, Lord, I don't know how this happened. So I don't know how to say thank you, but I never, ever, ever would have thought there are so many people in the world who care about us. As guards escorted their tornadoes back to their bus, each player received a bag filled with burgers and fries and an encouraging word from a faith player. Before he stepped onto the bus, Coach Williams, the tornado's coach, turned around and grabbed Hogan hard by the shoulders and said this sentence, you'll never, ever know what your people have done for these kids tonight. You'll never, ever know. Gainesville players crowded on one side of the bus and Peering out the windows, they looked at the unbelievable sight of being cheered as the bus rolled away. People they'd never before met, smiling at them, waving goodbye. Rick Riley, who first reported this story, described it as rivers running uphill, cats petting dogs. Maybe it'd be fair to describe it as the wolf dwelling with the lamb, the leopard lying down with the goat. Jesus gave up his peace. He became poor so we could have everything. And he is making war obsolete. He is daily lifting up the poor and the lonely and absolutely as we wait for Christmas, so should we. Let's pray together.